Okay, good morning, everyone. Uh, I'd like to welcome you once again to this edition of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame's Hall Call Interview Series. Uh, I am Will Driscoll, the Executive Director of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. Once again, hoping everybody has gotten off to a great summer. Uh, the weather's beautiful outside. It's a little hot here in, in southeastern Virginia, um, but hopefully everybody's enjoying the weather and enjoying just the opportunity to get back out there again. Uh, before we get started, as always, I, I got to thank our partners here at the Hall of Fame, the City of Virginia Beach, Priority Automotive, Optima Health, uh, ESPN Radio 94.1, Davcon Inc., and our friends at the Hampton Road Sports Commission. Without their support, we wouldn't be able to put on uh, initiatives and platforms like the Hall Call Interview Series. That being said, colleges and universities recently wrapped up what had to be one of the most surreal seasons in recorded history. You had no or limited fans, you had constant COVID testing, restricted travel, restrictions for student athletes and their interactions on and off campus. Just overall, a season unlike any other. Through it all, though, uh, there were still some champions crowned across all three divisions in the NCAA and all sports, and some of those even call Virginia home. One of those champions is the Virginia Wesleyan softball team. The Marlins won their third NCAA D3 softball national championship in the past five seasons when they took down Texas Lutheran in Salem in three games back at the beginning of June. Joining us today to talk about that ride to the championship and really the last 16 months is head coach Brandon Elliott. In addition to his three national titles with the Marlins, he's also led the Marlins to eight ODAC championships in 14 seasons at the helm. You can see him on screen with me right here. Brandon, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Will, thanks for having me. Uh, me again, I feel like I don't have to have my mask on, man. It feels good. <laughs> You know, you you mentioned again. It was what's I, I hate to say it's funny, but you were the first one when we transitioned from just the podcast to the video series. We talked last March 30th, and the decision at that point had just been made to cancel the season. And and a much different conversation we're going to have this time. But I think it's really interesting to see how it all came full circle in just 15 months. Uh, you knew you had a good team last year when the season got canceled. We talked about that, but seeing how it all progressed 15 months later with a lot of the same pieces in place. Just give us a, a sense into your, the emotional roller coaster you went on this last year and I guess almost a year and a half. I, I know, I mean, I think you, you, you try to prepare yourself as a coach and I think anybody, any profession of what you think it's going to be. I had no idea what we were getting into, no idea the challenges and, and honestly the mental health challenges and trying to lead our women through that type of stuff. Uh, and, and I don't know if I'm even in a position to do that. Uh, but certainly uh, to end the way that it did made it worth it. And that was kind of our question at the end to our kids was, was this worth it? And I think all the sacrifices throughout the year and the difficulties, and, but it, it was a, it was worth it, but um, I'm not sure I'd want, I'd like to live the championship again, but certainly <laughs> don't want to live that season again. Uh, it was just a tremendous amount of challenges um, outside of softball and on the field, but uh, to win it all, I think was a relief. Uh, for one, and because we knew all the other stuff was over. Uh, but, you know, you talk about a story that these kids are going to be able to tell for years and years. You know, they want it and I think, the most difficult year uh, for athletics or our country or our world or whatever. Uh, they did it that year. When we when we spoke last March, you know, a, a big, big part of our conversation was how do you manage a program when you physically can't interact with the players? And that obviously changed a little bit as, as the players were able to come back to campus, not necessarily all the student athletes, but you know, just looking at the blueprint that you had in place last March into getting into the actual season, what changed or, or what, were you, what did you have to do from your approach to make sure that the players were buying into everything that had to go into 
being a safe and good program? I mean, the first thing is, I think, veteran leadership. And we had 10 seniors. And, you know, that was a, a, a difference maker for us, I think, in every step of the way, whether it was on the field or off the field, is you had 10 seniors and you had kids that you knew could lead. So we missed a lot of time of teaching physically for softball. There were some areas where we didn't get to teach because we just didn't have the time or we were in small groups. And so when you have veteran leadership is important. Um, some of the, uh, you know, you got to admit some of it's lucky, right, to get through a season. We didn't have any positive cases on our team. Uh, we only had one player that had actually gone to quarantine during the season. So certainly some of that, when you look at the numbers, is, is, is luck. But I also think you make your own luck. And having conversations with other teams or programs or universities, when things happened to them that were unfortunate and they were either suspended or paused or girls weren't in quarantine, weren't able to play, because we had those conversations. We're like, this is real. This is real. This could happen. And this could end your season. And I've just always been transparent with our kids. And, you know, some of it, maybe somebody looks as a threat uh, or a promise, but we had real life stuff in front of us. Like if this happens, you're out 14 days. If this happens, you're out 10 days. And if you guys are all together and operating together and doing things outside of what the expectations are, not only are you out 10 or 14 days, but maybe all of us are. Um, and, you know, I, I think it hit us a little bit too. Coach Nzana, who's the, the head coach at Norfolk State, uh, was an assistant with us for 10 years. You know, he got COVID early in February and, and it was bad. And uh, I remember he sent a video for senior day to love on our seniors because that was the last group that he coached. And he had his oxygen on and all that. And one of the things he said, and he looked into the camera, he's like, I'm telling you guys, COVID's real. Like, look at me right now. Um, and, and that really hit home, I think, for a lot of our kids. Uh, but really, ultimately, the, the buy-in, you know, we could preach everything, but the kids have to want that. And they knew they had something ahead of them. Uh, and leaders like Madison Glopke and Hannah Hall and Jess Golden to say, I came back a fifth year to do this. And I'm not going to let you know, this happen. And then the last thing, Will, to be honest with you, our battle cry all years, I told him, I said, there's two teams in the country that can beat you. Virginia Wesleyan can beat you and COVID can beat you. And those are the only two teams that can beat you. And you're in control of, you are in control of whether those two teams can beat you or not. You, you mentioned just the, the fact that there were no positive tests. It, that's almost as big a badge of honor as the actual national championship, particularly this past year. Um, you know, kids, kids, we're, we're getting a little bit older. We're not quite as close to being a kid as we used to be, but you know, you have that sense of invincibility. And you mentioned that leadership that, that you, you can beat it into the kids as much as you want, but how important was it to have the Hannah Halls, the Madison Globkeys on the team saying, this is what this program is about. We might not like what we have to do, but if we're going to achieve our goals, we have to follow these rules and protocols. How important was it to have them on the team and come back for that fifth year? I mean, you don't do it without those kids, you know, and certainly what they did on the field, but you don't do it without those kids because what they're doing is echoing what you're saying as a coach, because I can say it all I want, but, you know, you mentioned it, you know, I'm not 18 to 22 and these guys came to college and they want to live their life. And certainly this disease wasn't, or this pandemic wasn't affecting them as much. And I'm not certain that I can sit here and tell you, honestly, if I was 18 to 22, that I would have followed all the protocols. I mean, to be honest with you, I can't say that with certainty. So to be able to have those women echo the sentiments like, hey, this is real. Like, yeah, we know he's being crazy, but he's being crazy for a reason. And, and I would tell him that all year. We're being crazy in the protocols that we're setting as our team and as our institution because our goal is to play in June. Our goal isn't to play in April or March. Our goal is to play in June, and we're going to have to follow these. So when you have those women, whether they agreed or not, echo the sentiments, that was the big thing is, you know, Coach, we got your back on this, and, and we're going to continue to push it too. 
give us a little bit of insight into the the added uh, requirements that you all had to do to make sure that you were able to play from a COVID testing standpoint. I think everybody operated differently at certainly different institutions and certainly resources. Um, as you know, I mean, resources change in different different areas. And, um, I, you know, I think the first thing started with our athletic department and our coaches um, buying into we did a help us play campaign, which I'm sure everybody saw on social media. And, and that was to really generate revenue for us to purchase testing materials because, you know, that was an excess of what we can afford and everybody's budgets are cut because of the pandemic. So that was huge. Our supporters um, and, and our donors and boosters and um, family members would donate to get to that. And our coaches are all on board because it all went in one pot. Like it didn't matter who did what. That was the piece. But, you know, day to day change. I talked to Dave, your men's basketball coach. You know, those guys got tested three times a week, the entire team. Softball was 25 percent. So 25 percent of our team would get tested once a week. Um, you know, testing they're there at 7 a.m. But what people didn't see is you're also your coaching staff and your athletic trainers and your administrators and athletics were there at 7 a.m. every day, every day. Um, and so we're there every day testing and testing the kids. And, you know, it's, it's nerve wracking because, you know, if a positive comes or it doesn't come and the protocols and being able to have to tell kids yeah, at 7 a.m., hey, you're good, you're not good. And the secretive behind that and when positive cases would come, trying to keep that private. Um, and then, you know, if we did have a positive case through athletics, we went in what we call the war room, which is, you know, we work with our student health team. And then it literally is a whiteboard and we're writing down like who was in contact, wherever they were, you know, we're on phone calls, we're following up and contact tracing. We're doing that all in-house. And I'm saying we, as an athletic department and our student health team are doing that, you know, sometimes till midnight at night, just to try to get it and keep people safe and follow the protocols. But you're doing that weekly, um, weekly. And then um, COVID safe, we uh, here we had an app that the kids had to fill out every day with their symptoms. If anybody had any symptom whatsoever, they had to hit, they got a red check. And then we had to go through our COVID safe protocols and follow that all up and contact trace from there um, and temperature checks every day at practice uh, and following that. And then, you know, for us, I think the humiliating part for, for us was on the road. Um, so we're in a double decker bus, which obviously costs more money. You're splitting kids up between roommates who's already had COVID, who's been vaccinated, who's six feet apart, cross this, that, and the other. You're masked on the bus. There's no interaction. There's no eating or drinking on the bus. So then you're stopping to get lunch or you're stopping to get dinner after playing. And, and this was the, the part that I just felt bad for them is, uh, you know, we're eating on a curb uh, in the middle of, uh, you know, in the middle of a parking lot. We're eating our, you know, our Chick-fil-A or we're eating our, um, you know, Applebee's or whatever it is, you know, and to see those kids having to eat 10 feet apart in a parking lot at, at dark, that those are the times you're like, is this, is this really what, what we're doing right now? Um, and then once we got to the NCAA tournament, it was full team testing every other day. Uh, and then some teams, you know, we traveled to those universities required full team testing. So we might have kids that were getting tested Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday at 7 a.m. and trying to figure it out. Um, and, but we had a false positive uh, at the NCAA tournament with the testing there. And that was, uh, I would say, emotional uh, in the regional. It ended up not being that. They clicked the wrong button. So you can imagine the emotions. How, how, much, time, how much time went in between the false positive and then knowing that it was a false positive? Uh, we are actually up here as a team. The entire team got tested, I think, at 8.30. We were, on, we were supposed to be on the field at 10.30. It's about a half hour. Um, I'd say probably around nine o'clock, um, we got the note notification that we had a positive case. Um, and then it was probably five to eight minutes before um, an NCAA rep would come up and, and did explain to me that they had made a mistake and hit the wrong button. Oh my um, goodness. 
you know, and normally I would have gone crazy. Um, yeah. Our kids were already emotionally shot, but we're, you know, an hour and a half away from playing the regional championship game. Um, so it's a difference between not being done, right, potentially season over that way, and then you got to rally the troops again and get their emotions straight because they're angry but also relieved. Um, so, you know, and even at the World Series, uh, the finals, you know, getting tested and just waiting for the last kid to make sure everybody's good. Um, <laughs> crazy. You know, it, it's amazing because as sports fans, we really only see the finished product, and that's the game. You know, yeah. but we it, I think it's really important to understand the amount of work that went that went into just making sure you all could get to the game and the amount of work that not just for one game, but every single game. I mean, you guys played 53 games, I think, this year. And and these processes were in place. And the same with uh, basketball and, and all the other sports. You know, the ODAC was the ODAC put forth a very aggressive plan to get all the sports in this this spring. We talked to Brad Banks in last December when that decision was made. When you received the news that sports were going to come back, how excited were you? Oh, we were fired up. And, you know, Joanne was here. She came back and served on an interim basis for us and led us through this. We couldn't have done it without Joanne Rand, and I know you know her very well. Um, and that was one of the things she said in the first department. We're going to get through this, and we're going to play. We're going to get through this, and we're going to play. My job is to play. Um, and you're just like, how is it? And we, you know, we had 22 sports all playing at the same time. Uh, Julie Fassel that, that started and played right field for me and was first team all conference. She also played field hockey during the year. She didn't miss a field hockey game. She started in every one of them. So she doubled her testing and doubled her bus trips. Um, and that's the stuff that people don't see. Uh, and then you would see a coach, you know, I'd go run and I'm not saying myself, but you go, I got a coach that would go run their practice till five thirty six o'clock. And then they had to hustle across campus and work a lacrosse game till nine 30 because we had to cover our events, um, sports info, athletic trainers. They were our heroes. They were unbelievable this year. Our athletic training staff, um, you know, and they had 22 sports and they kept us all together. Uh, but yeah, I think as a fan, you, you see the product, um, but on the inside, uh, it was challenging from multiple, multiple angles. Well, you, you get, you get through all of the rounds of NCAA, you finally get to Salem for the, the championship series. Well, I guess the, the women, the, the world series, uh, what was that? Was there a sense of relief once you made it that far and knowing that you still had work to do, but just seeing that, okay, wow, we, we didn't make it just past week one. We didn't make it past just month one. We made it all the way to the end. We're here. At, at that point, are you playing with house money? Honestly, at that point, you're, you're, you're relieved because you've made it through all that stuff, certainly. And that's, that's the end goal to get there. Um, we had a monkey on our back. We've never won a regional at home. Um, and we've won super regionals at home, but every time we've hosted a regional at home, we've lost. So we won the first regional ever at home. So that was kind of the jinx in everybody's head. Um, but to be honest with you, getting through the ODAC is a bear. Uh, mm -hmm. And then we get through the ODAC and now we're in the regional, we got a bid. And then it was getting through the region in our region, you know, and they spread everybody out. Our region is the toughest region in the country. And they flew people around and spread everybody out. So getting to Salem and looking around, we are like, we can win this thing. So it wasn't like, ah, we're here. It was like, we're going to, we're the best team here. We're going to win this thing. Um, and so I think it was almost the relief to get there because we knew once we got there that we were the best team. You get to the final series uh, against Texas Lutheran. And what a lot of people might not know is it's a best of three, but game one is played on one day, but then two and three potentially are on the same day. You lose game two in the morning. You got to turn right around and play game three in the afternoon. After game two, did you see anything in your players where you said, you know what, we got this? 
honestly, like normally after that, and it was really weird for me. My players would probably have to say it. They may see it differently. I was a lot calmer um, than I've probably ever been in coaching. And, and I don't know if it was just the confidence of the kid or finally the nerves from the year, but I didn't really direct and say a whole lot this year. Um, and I'm a pretty fiery guy. And I kind of stayed back a little bit. Now I had my moments, but we lose that game and we almost came back. Um, you know, Golden hits the ball off the top of the wall that would have tied it. She hits triple. Klopke comes up, pops up to end the game. Um, so the game was over. We actually had to, we had to move dugouts and all kinds of stuff. Um, I actually didn't say anything to them at all for probably a half hour. Um, I just wanted to see how they were, because that's at the end of the day, I can hoorah them all I want, but they're going to have to pick themselves up. And I just left them alone for a half hour. Um, and, and, you know, you're getting ready to put the ball in Hannah Hall's hands, so you feel pretty good about that. Um, but how the conversations that they had, I mean, they had about five minutes of despair. Then they got over there, and I grabbed them probably five minutes before we got ready to warm up again. And it just said, hey, it doesn't matter. The whole year matters nothing. It comes down to this. This is it. Like, everything's got to be reset. Like, this is the this is everything that you've played for, and you guys got to figure it out. But just seeing how they handled themselves, and, again, I think it was a veteran crew, and I think coming back and scoring two runs there and making that game three to two and almost pulling off the comeback, that really ignited, like, all right. Like, we had a little bit of slump. My father-in-law will tell you we didn't score, I think, for – like 13 innings in a row. If you go back from the when we scored game <laughs> one to that one, right? He pointed that out. I think it was 13 innings in a row. Opportunities. Um, yeah, yeah opportunities I was like, you know, <laughs> you know? uh, but he was right. I didn't look at that. And so we kind of broke that through. Uh, and, and I felt very confident going into that first inning. And, you know, Golden hits the leadoff home run. And I think that that was it right there. Well, I said in my introduction that you've won three uh, national titles in the last five years. Let, let's, let me just put the caveat in there. Three of the last four, really, since there wasn't one competed for in 2020. So let, let's do that. But in those five years, you've had, you, you already alluded to it, you've had just amazing players come through the program. One of those is Hannah Hall. And this year, she actually set the NCAA record for career wins as a pitcher. She broke the previous record of 124, and the new record now stands at 132. How much confidence does that give you as a coach knowing you give the ball to her and the outcome is going to pretty much be the same every single time well, I mean you can ask anybody you hand them that rock right now it's Jacob DeGrom right for the Mets you know you give him the ball and you feel like you have a pretty good chance to win you know and I think even on her bad day you know if we should if we don't score three runs we should lose anyway but you know certainly that that's it and I will say you know she struggled a lot early this year um just with some some confidence and you would think a kid like that would be but um, but just some confidence and figuring some things out and struggled with some control issues and our team hit behind her and you could see her confidence building because we were better offensively. But um, we made that decision game day and talked to Mary Pilkin and our pitching coach and, uh, and Hannah that second game and Hannah was ready to go the first game of the day. And we just felt like, Hey, we could throw seal because Emily is a freshman, but she's an all American. And like we could throw seal. And if we got to bring Hannah in the fifth and the sixth to close the door, that put us in a better spot than starting Hannah. And Hannah was like, that's the best decision. That's the right decision. So you got a kid like that that's leading the charge. Um, it, it's fantastic. But I'd like to hand her the ball about another 132 times. It, it helped me out. But um, you might run into some eligibility issues there. Yeah, but, but <laughs> what, what a blessing. Um, and we may never see another Hannah Hall in our program. You may never see another Hannah Hall in Division Three ever. You, you've now won three national titles. Um, you've won eight ODAC championships in the 14 years you've been there. Is there something, though, about this past year that stands out, that, that just kind of makes it, you know, that might be the one that, that sits up on top of the, uh, the mantelpiece? Well, I think in 17, they all have different kind of different feelings. 17 was a surprise. It was like, holy smokes, right? Because we did 
we were playing with house money. We got there and we're like, dang, we've never been here before. This is really cool. And we lost our first game and then we kept winning. And I was like, wait a second, like we could win this thing. Like this is kind of crazy. Um, so I think that year was like a super surprise. And then 2018, believe it or not, was like the proving it, proving we belong because there were a lot of naysayers. I don't know how you go 54 and three and then people go, it was a fluke. But that was kind of what we were hearing. Ah, it was a fluke. Oh, they got lucky. They got hot at the right time. I'm like, we went 54 games. Um, so 18 was almost like the punch in the gut. Like, here you go, take this. Um, and I think 20, 2020 was like our redemption tour because we got upset in 19. So I felt like 21 was more that redemption tour. Like, hey, we, we got upset in 19. We were the best team and we're back. Like, we're going to win this thing again. But it was almost the relief piece of it uh, when it was all over. Certainly the hardest year, um, which which makes it, uh, I'm not going to say more special than those years, but certainly makes it more unique um, and just how it was done and the difficulties behind it for sure. Every every coach at their introductory press conference, it's, it's the same recycled speech. You know, our goal is to win championships. We're going to win championships. But when you actually do that, it means that the processes that you put in place helped you get to that. What has been the roadmap in your 15, in your 14 years to get you from your introductory press conference to now three-time national champion? Recruiting. Um, you know, I mean, there's a lot of coaches that are great coaches, and I'm using air quotes, a lot of great coaches. I'm probably in that boat. People will say, oh, that guy's a great coach. Uh, great players make coaches look great. Um, you know, I, I might be the most mediocre coach in the country, and I don't know if people ever, if it'll ever come to the surface, because if you bring in great players and uh, they're going to make you look good, regardless of what you know. And I always say, if God gave me the opportunity to be the best coach in the country or the best recruiter in the country, I would say, God, I want to be the best recruiter in the country because uh, the best coach in the country is only going to get with so much out of it. Uh, but certainly the players. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, people talk about culture, but just loving, loving people. Um, and, and that doesn't necessarily come from me, but I go to Jim Quinn that's been with me for 12 years. Jim has loved me from day one our players, our parents, um, the administration. It's just, there's a, we use the out love hashtag and it's real. And I think when you have that atmosphere and then you add talent to it, it just kind of ignites into something special. Um, and then the last piece, I mean, other than, you know, I think sheer luck, you know, and, and God's grace on our program, you know, he certainly favors us for some reason right now. Um, and we're, but, but the, the other piece is just the expectation. Um, and I think when people look at resources or people look at, uh, body type and they look at athleticism or academics or whatever it is, everybody gives excuses rather than expectations. And that's never been at the forefront of our program. It's always been about expectations because I don't care what we don't have. I know what we have. And we're always going to have the high expectation as individuals, um, but we're also going to have the high expectation for our program. And I think when you put those expectations out, kids expect to win. You, you just mentioned recruiting. We were actually talking about it a little bit before uh, we, we went live that you were just uh, entertaining a recruit. And I've been following the softball program on social media. You've been announcing a lot of the new recruits coming in. And, and one really stuck out to me, and it's from California. The fact that a Division three program in Virginia Beach now has the reach to recruit out in California, you know, how excited does that make you about the opportunities for this program moving forward? I mean, you got to love social media, right? And, and yeah. things that things change. So, you know, you certainly market your program and you make connections and then those connections become other connections. And that's how we got Ariana Roll, our center fielder. That was just through, just a fluke through connections from Iowa. Um, but yeah, I mean, got some, some friends of mine out in California, answer a couple emails, you get some film on a kid. Film was a big thing, right? I wasn't flying to California. So 
to be able to see Lauren, her name's Lauren Bible, to see her pitch and um, the things I saw online with her. And we actually have another one we haven't announced yet, but uh, another lady named um, Jocelyn Woolard. It's also from, she's from San Diego area. So we got two California kids coming in. Um, but, but yeah, the, the reach of our program and I think the success these women have had nationally makes us more attractive. And then, you know, coastal Virginia and Virginia Beach don't, uh, don't really hurt that either. There are worse places to be. I would say that. <laughs> definitely worse places to be. I take be. all those kids to Chicks Beach, every one of them. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Doesn't matter if it's December or July, they step on the sand at Chicks Beach. They got to see it. Absolutely, Absolutely have to see it. The, the actual sport, the overall sport of women's softball, softball has actually had a really great momentum building summer. And, and I kind of want to talk to you a little bit about that. We saw that the, I have the statistics here, the D1 Women's College World Series pulled in higher ratings than the Men's World Series uh, on the baseball side. Is there something measurable that this growth or this momentum can be attributed to? Well, one is the ESPN anchor that's that's running it, and I'm having a, I'm at blanking right now. She's actually a Division three alum. She played at Emory, um, and Mega Ronowitz um, is big at, at um, in in at in ESPN, and so she had this affiliation a little bit with Division three, and she had this affiliation certainly with softball, um, and then you know Sports Siren when you get her out there and, and she's doing that, and she loves softball, um, you know that's a big piece of it. But once we once they got it in front of people. Um, and the statistics we talk about at our association is it's it's the average is a 50, 51 year old white male that watches the Women's College World Series. And the reason being, and I'm saying this because I'm a baseball guy, my baseball people are going to hate me for saying this, but it's the only female sport that's faster than the men's version. You know, you go from men's soccer to women's soccer slows down, men's basketball to women's basketball slows down. No one wants to see a slower version of what they already love which is why it's hard for the NBA fans to watch WNBA. But then you go and you watch a baseball game and it's a snooze fest, right? And you cut on softball and it's quick and it's fast and they're diving, hitting home runs and celebrating, flexing and doing all this stuff and throwing the ball 70 miles an hour from 43 feet away. It's exciting and people want to watch it more and they can watch it in an hour and a half and it'd be boom, boom, bam, done. And so now it's the fourth highest revenue sport um, in NCAA and it's continuing to boom and continuing to grow. And it just goes back to that men, you know, the women have already supported it, but now the men are jumping in because it's, it's freaking awesome. I mean, I, I wouldn't go back. I love baseball, but I want beer and peanuts while I'm watching, you know, but, uh, you know, softball, you go get a beer and peanuts, you just missed an inning. <laughs> so, well, that, that is, you know, that's an interesting point. I was talking with, um, Michael Kadire recently about that and, you know, the fact that there's very little action in baseball now because everybody's looking for the bomb or you, you everybody's throwing 98. So you're either going to strike out, walk or hit the home run. Watching softball, you see that excitement. And like you said, I, I'm not going to stand in, you know, seven, 43 feet away from Odyssey Alexander from uh, from JMU or, or against any of your pitchers. I'm sure not going to do that. But what are the next steps to continue this momentum for this sport? Is there the possibility for a professional league in the not the short term but maybe even the long-term future well i think they've had a professional league that we've had professional leagues and and the au sports thing is coming through but it's the sponsorship and the support of it it's just not attended as very as well to support those those women that are playing and so they're not getting you know they're not it's not enough to live on so then they just move on and then we lose it in the olympics with baseball too and that certainly hurts us but it's got to be supported globally. And, and I say it at the end, every, at the end of every one of my youth camps, I tell them, you know, by the time I'm done with this, you know, I hope somebody's making a million dollars playing softball. 
but it's not going to be me that does it. You need to get guys like me out and women like you in. And I tell the kids, you've got to follow on social media. You've got to watch the games. You got to DVR the games. You got to watch on the SEC network. But we've got to make a shift from the college game to the professional game. And maybe this NIL helps. Now, I don't know what the heck is going on with the NIL because it doesn't affect us as much. But maybe that helps because now these women in college softball can get paid for marketing it. And then maybe these marketers slide in supporting the professional sports. It, that, that is certainly an interesting point. Talking with some football and basketball coaches, they, they're saying that it's not going to be necessarily their full rosters that are going to see the benefits. It's going to be the female sports, the, the people that are active on social media that have those followings. Um, I'll get you out of here. This, this will be the last one. Uh, it's, it's not going to be a hard hitting one, but you recently, you took a break. You went down to Hilton Head. I go down to Hilton Head each year. I usually focus on the golf. I saw you focused on the ice cream aspect of Hilton Head. So I need some recommendations next time I go down there. I tell you what, you know, I always say if, if there's something that you want to make sure that you do on, on vacation, one is make it a challenge and put it on social media. Now, everybody thinks, who challenged you to this ice cream everyday challenge? I challenge myself, you know, so I put it out there. And uh, but, You're your yeah, biggest critic. <laughs> a, a little fun. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, Hilton Head ice cream is a big one. Kilwin's let me down. You know, I need their sponsorship, but they let me down a little bit. They were they were down in the dumps, but Hilton Head ice cream was was it. There's a place, sneaky place in Caligny Beach called the Ice Cream Cone. Um, and then if you can slide into Sea Pines, if you can afford to go down there, uh, if you slide into Sea Pines for a day, Salty Dog's got a little sneaky ice cream. Uh, but I'm a, I, I like to consider myself an ice cream connoisseur. Um, I'm, I, but if you don't have two scoops, it doesn't count. Um, and so that, that's the big thing, but, our, but our focus now is now that we're back and getting recruiting going is we got to get these rings funded, uh, you know, so maybe you can do a little shout out to help us get our, get our rings funded this year. we got, well, we got some big bling coming. Why, why don't you do that right now? Tell us about the, the project that you're trying to work to get the rings funded. Yeah, we just, we just pushed it out yesterday in the social media campaign. Uh, I think the, the one yesterday was big flex for big rings and it's just got Jess golden flexing on them. But, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, the per diem we get from the NCA is good, but it, you know, we, we probably win about $10,000 in a hole making the run that we did. Um, and we've got to find a way to fund that. And, and certainly I'm not one that's going to ask mom and dad to buy their kids their championship rings. These kids deserve to have it. Um, they won a national championship. So uh, we're making a push out there to, to fund our national championship rings. They're, they're 265 bucks a piece. And uh, we've probably got a crew of about 30 because I'm going to make sure we take care of our athletic trainers and um, so people can reach out to me uh, if they're interested. Uh, my email is uh, just bellyot, two L's and two T's at bwu.edu. Uh, they can follow us on social media. I'll be making a push here the next couple of years. And uh, in 17 and 18, we got them all completely funded. It was amazing what the community did. And uh, we're just hoping that uh, we can get some more love this year too. Well, we're going to make sure that we, we hopefully help you with that and use our social media power to, to do that because they definitely deserve it especially after a year that they just went through. Definitely <laughs> deserve it. Uh, the biggest thing I'm taking away from this is two scoops or it doesn't count. So I appreciate yeah. that insight. Uh, Brandon, as always, it's always a pleasure catching up with you, whether it's in this form or whether it's offline. We, we always have good conversations. So thank you again and congratulations on the third national championship. Thanks, Will. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And one thing I forgot to mention at the beginning for people who are watching, you can follow Brandon on Twitter at Elliot says what all one word Virginia Wesleyan athletics at VWU underscore Marlins and Virginia Wesleyan softball at VWU softball. They're great on social media. They're great on the field. So please be sure to follow them. I'd like to thank everyone who tuned in today to this edition of the Hall Call interview series. Again, I'd like to thank our partners, Priority Automotive, the city of Virginia Beach, Optima Health, ESPN Radio 94.1, DAVCON, 
and the Hampton Road Sports Commission. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at VA Sports HOF. Once again, I'm Will Driscoll with the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. Whatever you do, participate, don't spectate.